The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Well, I was glad when they said unto me, let us worship at Downtown Church. For God is mighty and strong. He is holy and righteous. And he is someone that is always reminding us of his goodness and how he's been so good to us. The fact that he's woken us up this morning to worship him and given us our limbs in order to speak praises to him, lift our hands, clap our hands. Uh, it is a privilege and an honor, and we should never take that lightly. And we should always understand that no matter the circumstances and where you are, no matter where how thing how tough God how tough things are, God is still real and he is still with his people. I got a text message this morning from a dear friend who I did not know had COVID and he was very active, et cetera. And he almost he texted me and said, I almost died. And to know that you can lose somebody at any moment in this time right now is to say that us, not only is life precious, but we need to hold tightly to the very people that we love. And we need to proclaim a gospel and leave a legacy for the kingdom of God far beyond anything because this is a time in which God wants his people to declare his name and his word. And more than us feeling our comfortability, our own satisfaction, living in our own peace and our own silos, can I tell you that God wants us to proclaim proclaim his goodness, proclaim his kingdom, and what is to come because that is the only hope that we can hope for. That is the only thing that gives us the ability to live from this day forward. Amen, somebody. I love him. I hope you do too. We have been going through the book of James, and as we've been going through the book of James, you've heard much of the scriptural background concerning the book of James. You've heard that it is a wisdom, that is lit, written as wisdom literature and instruction literature. You've heard that James is writing to the diaspora of Jews, meaning that there are various different individuals that are around, that, that are Jewish Christians that are around, and he's writing to those churches and to those peoples. And you, you know that James is the, the, um, is over the Jerusalem council. So when you go to Acts 15 and you look that when the issues of circumcision, whether to circumcise or not circumcise, James is the one that is actually interacting with those particular situations. So you know who James is. He's the brother of Jesus. And you know that James is not necessarily writing in a way where we can just follow chronologically pertaining to a particular issue or a narrative, but James is writing in a way that we can all take and the readers can take things to apply to their lives wisdom, not just things, wisdom to apply to them lives, and they can ask God for wisdom generously, and he, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it generously. That being the forefront of this book and kind of giving somewhat of a synopsis as to what we're doing, when we come to our passage and zoom in on chapter two this morning, we're dealing with a particular issue regarding discrimination, faith, discrimination, and faith. When you think about our passage this morning, it's not merely dealing with if individuals change their behavior, then uh, there would be uh, better harmony and unity amongst individuals. Our natural proclivity is to resist all things towards God. Therefore, our other natural proclivity is to make distinctions and divisions in the body of Christ because that is the scheme of the devil to try to divide the body of Christ. 
Before we read on, go on, let me read our particular scripture and, uh, we, and pray and dive into it. We're in James chapter 1, going through uh, verse 13. James chapter, I'm sorry, James chapter 2, verse 1 through verse, through thir- to verse 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a ring, a gold ring, and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if and if you pay more attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and have become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which has promised to those whom love him? Which he he has promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you convict and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do if you do not commit adultery and do murder, you have become a transgressor. Of the law, so speak, and so act as who as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the very word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, help me in this moment. Father, I pray that you allow my words to be clear and honoring. But Lord, more, more than anything, allow your word to be heard in the hearts and the minds of your people. Use me, Lord, at this moment. Fill me up with your spirit. Allow your presence, Lord Jesus, to operate and move in a way that is transformative. And God, allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people say together. James is addressing the natural proclivity of human beings primarily because we do not enjoy the law. 
We don't enjoy following God. And the difficulty of understanding that we don't enjoy following God and our natural proclivity is to resist him. We then need to be transformed in our hearts. We don't need to be transformed in one instance. We need to be progressively transformed over a course of time, over a course of our life. But what James is saying when we look at verse 1 is that it is an operation of our faith in which we show no partiality. It ought to be consistent in one matter. Therefore, if you were to take anything as a big idea, you want to understand this morning that our faith in Christ ought to reflect our hearts. Our faith in Christ ought to reflect our hearts, primarily because our tendency is to make distinctions. It's to find, it's to have structures founded on superior and inferior relationships, who's good and who's not good. Think about how you weed your kids out in school. Think about how we weed kids out when we simply pick them out on which teams we want them on. We want the best. We want the brightest. And we've been taught to look for those things. And then we've been taught to demean others who do not have. We don't treat those who don't have much with integrity or as they are imaging the Imago day. We don't treat them with the dignity that's inherent to them because we look at what they have on. We look at the outward appearance. Those external things become the very thing that we judge them upon. In fact, if somebody makes a mistake, if somebody wrongs you, you also judge them and you put them in a category. We operate in a way that is not natural to the character of God. And in the Christian community, we make wealth and power, which you will very much hear me emphasize the idea of power in this particular context because I want to tell you how, who James is talking to in the Greco-Roman world, but I also want to make it very applicable for downtown church. I know we live in Memphis, Tennessee, but I want to talk to downtown church this morning. In my prayer time, I've very much been praying for all of you and every individual that's been visiting our church. And my heart and my passion is to see us be a church that also oftentimes dignify individuals in our community, no matter if they're poor, oppressed, no matter if they're black, white, Asian, uh, no matter if they're Middle Eastern, no matter if they're South African, no matter if they're from South America. We want to love anybody, no matter their race, creed, or culture. We want to make sure that we dignify them. And this oftentimes is not the case because of the unspoken nature that we recognize within the Christian church. We look at Christian leaders and we see how so many Christian leaders only, uh, only, uh, uh, um, only play to those who have power. Only play to those that are more sophisticated. Only play to those, uh, look at church leadership structures. Those that are business owners or doctors or lawyers or physicians or, uh, or, or um, people who have much influence and impact. We don't see many of our uh, uh, churches and many of our church leadership structured in a way that we want, no matter what economic stratosphere you're on, you to be a leader in the church, identifying you as a leadership, a leader in the church, no matter where you, who you are, identifying you as a leader of the church. This is very important. Why? Because when we get to verse one, he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. First point is our faith must reflect our hearts in a way that we dignify all people. That's verses 1 through 7. The next point, we only have two points. I'll give those who love to take notes. Our hearts must reflect our, I mean, our, our faith must reflect our hearts in the way that we show mercy. That's verses 8 through 13. But when we ask the question of how is our faith connected to dignifying all people? 
How is our faith connected to our to dignifying all people. James makes it clear. I don't want you to discriminate. I want you to dignify. How is that? Because I don't want you to show partiality. Where does that come from? You can read Leviticus chapter 19. You can read Deuteronomy. You can read, you can go to Ephesians and you can go to Philippians where you see that the same idea is not just a New Testament notion, but it is also an idea that's been treated in the royal law, in the law of the Lord, in the Torah in which you live your life. And that is how they ought to govern themselves. Remember, James is not talking to the same audience that Paul is talking to. Oftentimes we think that James is talking to the same individuals. Remember, some individuals did not want to be Christians. They wanted to continue to observe the Old Testament law and circumcise. Therefore, James is not talking to them necessarily. James is talking to those that has believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he's come to save and rescue absolutely every individual. Therefore, when he talks about faith in Jesus Christ, it's important to note that it's tethered to the character of God. It's, in, it's consistent with who God is. But what is faith in God? And how do we uphold such a faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Some of y'all don't fall asleep on me this morning. If you love to say amen, I love that too. If you love to engage with me with some head nods, I love that too. If you need me to sit down, just say, shut up, preacher, I'll do that too. But in chapter chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 1, the Bible says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And then if you would just allow me to continue to go on, it's beautiful how the the, the Hebrew writer says in verse 3 of that same chapter, "For, for, for by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, not made out of, that are visible. The beauty in which we see James's argument here is it's consistent when Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty two, where he's encouraging his disciples to have faith in God, which is contrary in that same verse to where you would have doubt in your heart. And when you understand you have faith in God, he is the one that is helping you to uphold that faith. We cannot uphold that faith on our own, nor can we argue that our faith has to be in other things. When you ask the question, well, what does it mean to have faith? It does not mean to have faith in an idol. It does not mean to have faith in, uh, in, uh, in Elijah Muhammad. It does not mean to have faith in some comedic science. It does not mean to have faith in your own identity, so ethnocentrism. It does not mean to have faith in your own nationality. It doesn't mean to have faith in some other religion and you trying to add other religions to Christianity. Faith in Jesus Christ is in him and him alone. That's when you understand the solas and the sola, uh, 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 sola scriptura. And so like glory Dea it is in God alone, him alone, Christ alone, and no other individual or no other thing on the earth. When they begin to compete with our hearts, a lot of times we fall to the natural proclivities of our hearts. We fall to the things that make us feel good. We fall to the things that make pleasure light in our minds but what God is saying when you don't fall to those things don't give yourself a pat on the back understand that by my spirit that is walking with you same John same gospel John 14 26 that it is the very prayer cletos that is walking with his people empowering us to live lives that go beyond some of our own hurt some of our own pain some of our own things that are going on in our lives God is saying you're I am faithful 
faithful to you by my spirit to empower you to uphold my glory. And so this is difficult for James's audience, and it's also difficult for a nominal Christian. who You will struggle with his, in, his instruction. It's also difficult if you're a hyper-individualized Christian, meaning that you're doing Christianity all by yourself, and you don't need nobody else, and you don't have nobody having authority in your life that is a, a, a Christian a pastor or a ministry leader. You see, what it is difficult because naturally when you think about the idea of power, it always benefits those who have resources. It always benefits those who have influence. It always benefits those who are involved in systemic situations that privilege, that gives privilege to those that are privileged. And this is the concept that James introduces in terms of the audience that he is talking to in the Greco-Roman world. A systemic institution and having laws that actually benefit those that are wealthy, that are powerful, and those that are privileged. And it is affecting the Christian community primarily because it's asking those others who are inferior to placate to those that have power and influence. Why? Because that's the only way they can get access to money. They can get access to other things. They can live a better life. We all want to live better lives. We're lying to say to ourselves that we don't want to live a life that's better. But don't live a better life apart from Jesus. And that's the wisdom. Don't live a life that actually begins to make others less than you. You need to dignify people no matter the economic stratosphere that you're on, no matter how much money you got in your pocket, no matter what position you hold, no matter what individual you are. You ought to dignify every single individual. Why is the question? It is because God has created them. It is because God has given them dignity, inherent value, and worth. No man can take it. No man can give it. We can only honor what God has created. So if somebody walks into our assembly and they're wealthy and we treat them with dignity, how should downtown church look on themselves? If, someone, if, if, if a dignitary walks in here and we give them all of the praise and all of the worship, but with someone else who has no cash in their pocket, a homeless individual walks into our, our place and we don't seat them like we seat a, govern, a dignitary, you have to tell me and we have to wrestle with this fact that we've discriminated against someone who does not have as many credentials on their name. See, our institution may just be a little bit different in terms of where we are today, but we do some of the same things that our brothers and sisters have done in the ancient church to affect the church today. And see, James says that this is a reflection of our faith, meaning then that if we show discrimination, if we show favoritism, if we show partiality, you know what that says? It possibly says that our faith is weak or we don't have faith in Jesus Christ. That is how strong of an argument James is making in this Bible. It's not going to give me many amens, but I want you to understand that this is not about us praising or worshiping. It's about us understanding who God has made around us because every single someone, every time someone enters our doors, or exits our doors, you understand that you want them to be touched by heaven. Not touched by our own discrimination. We want them to be dignified by God. And this is why James indicates that judgment would lead to evil thoughts. It's right here in the scripture. Sorry, I'm borrowing 
uh, Sir Gregory's Bible, and the print is so small. I, I, you know, I didn't think I'm just 37 years old, and I didn't think I would need bigger font. But I do. What he says right here, when you look in the in verse in verse four, he says, "Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts?" I want you to think about what he is saying right here. In fact, I want you to think about it. I want to tell you what I believe he's saying. He's actually challenging them. Many of you already heard that he's writing in a particular style, a diatribe style, meaning that he's trying to use rhetorical questions in order to build an argument for them to begin to think about how they're interacting with individuals around them. Because he's writing to so many different people. Imagine writing to various different, imagine writing to people that are scattered all around America, but you're trying to get one thought across. This is what James is trying to do. And so then when he asks this question, he recognizes that they already have distinctions. That some people have access to things that when they come into the synagogue, that other people don't have access to things. How do we know? Because the analogy he gives, when you see an individual who has a gold ring and nice clothing, oh, look how you treat them. But you let, you let them stand over, have a seat in, in a nice, comfortable place. But then you ask somebody who does not have those, those same things, you actually treat them with discrimination. You ask them to bow down at your feet or stand over to the side. You push them out the way. But if we are to usher people into the presence of God, it doesn't matter what they have on. If you weren't Louis, Gucci, if you weren't Prada, if you weren't the best of all, if you got ragtags or whatever, you are a child of God and you're entering to the presence of God and ought to be ushered into that presence and not to anybody else's can I get amen somebody therefore when he says then in the next verse in that same verse that it is it becomes judgment becomes your evil thoughts these evil thoughts are judging and this is connecting because right at the end he talks about judgment and mercy which we'll get to when you understand that those evil thoughts are judging other individuals or our judgment structures are judging other individuals it doesn't mean that we're without sin you can look at this in the next in the next couple of verses it said we're all guilty of showing partiality we're all guilty of it we need to acknowledge it we need to change our hearts and our minds by consistently making sure that we're being sanctified and washed by the word of God. Hard truth for many of us because sometimes it's difficult depending on what society we come from and what upbringing we come from to judge other people according to what they have and what they don't have. And if we are fans of the prosperity gospel, sometimes we find ourselves elevating individuals because of what they have and what they don't have. If you got a car, if you got a certain house, or you got a certain amount of money, then God is blessing you. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. In fact, we understand that, God, that James gives us a contrary aspect of when he looks at the, at the poor in the next rhetorical question, saying that they are rich in faith. Had God shown favor on the poor in order for them to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom of God? What kind of eschatological understanding must a poor person or individual in the congregation who doesn't have much understanding regarding the kingdom of God, that their hope is not in comparison to the person with the fine jewelry, with the big house, or with a big car. Their hope is not in the material possessions or how much they have. Their hope in this work to come because there are streets that you will walk on that people will know that are, that are streets of gold. But other individuals have to understand that we can't take what we buy. We can't take what we buy. Uh, we got to leave the house 
We, we got to leave the car. We, we got to leave all of the material possessions. We, we got to leave those things behind, beloved. And any of us who have envy, we got to deal with the envy in our hearts and the jealousy in our hearts because it's not about accumulating things. It's about being transformed in your heart by God. But what does this mean in terms of dignifying individuals? It means that when Jesus talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, verse 9, that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though that he was rich, my goodness, he was rich, and he could have came in all of his glory. What did he do? Paul says, yet for your sake, he became poor. Understand your sake. He became poor so that you by his poverty, might become rich. This juxtaposition is challenging because it is actually inclining us to desire things that are far beyond our instant gratification. Now, let me take a parenthetical pause for a minute because I know for some of us who do have wealth and do have means and for some of us who have been to different countries, you may say we don't have those issues that third world countries have. When we're talking about power, oppression, and privilege, we have to understand that people are feeling certain pains and pressures in society that they don't have access to various different things in a lifestyle. But also, I understand that some people do have means. I don't think that James is trying to make sure that he tears down people who are wealthy. I don't believe that that's what the scriptures are saying. I believe because it doesn't say, look at the great person with the gold ring and with the beautiful clothes and they're a horrible individual. The scriptures doesn't say that. It's how we discriminate according to what individuals have. That's what the scriptures deal with. It deals with whether your child can go to private school or your child has to go to public school. It deals with whether you're per- where you can live in a certain zip code or you can't live in another zip code. It deals with what you can afford and what you can't afford, how you can keep yourself together and how you can't keep yourself together, how you can have a lace front and how you can't have a lace front, how you can make sure that you can get your, 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 how you can make sure you get your hair together, how you can't. The th- reality is is that God is not dealing with what individuals uh, uh, what individuals have. He dealing with the discriminatory aspects in which we placed in the church so your own cultural location experience and lack of exposure oftentimes tapers your appetite for not only the people of God but for the kingdom of God therefore what he is making a direct connection to the way that I treat you shows and demonstrates what I'm hoping for the way that I treat you shows what I am hoping for I don't This is why Jesus can say that you can turn the other cheek to your enemy. This is why Jesus can say, love your enemies. Because, beloved, if we come into this place and we hold stuff in our hearts towards individuals and people and we haven't reconciled and we haven't sought forgiveness and we had not dignified individuals by giving that ability to know that you've offended me or you haven't offended me because I felt discriminated against because this particular situation, you haven't given people the privilege to forgive and to bring wholeness and truth to the body of Christ that we can live by the law of love. I know y'all don't believe what I'm saying, but it's in the Bible. Therefore, we cannot begin to appease those that are wealthy. This is actually what was happening in that particular time. Individuals would actually placate to other individuals because they wanted funds. They wanted things. And this is why when you look at what James says, well, how can you... 
in, in the next couple of verses. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the court? So you understand that this is also some legal language that is going on, a judicial situation. But he's saying the other issue is, are, you not, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? In other words, why do you, re- why do you not realize your own dignity? Why do you feed into the rich? Why do you actually denigrate yourself in order to make sure that you receive some type of funds? This can deal with those who are in nonprofit ministry and you feel as if that you have to placate towards somebody else because of how, much res- how many resources they have as opposed to anybody else is getting to some issues. Because a lot of times we can also think about the fact of how many people come to Memphis thinking that they're serving Memphis. We got to change that ideology and that notion because the idea is you're assuming that you bring something to the city. No, we bring the Lord in everything that we do. Yes, we're gifted, but we cannot over we cannot overthink that we are think we we are the we are God's greatest uh, a gift to the city of Memphis. That's not the reality, and it challenges it challenges us it challenges us to understand our own dignity that God has given us, no matter where you are in life, the reality to have Him and be rich in Him. But that doesn't sound like it's enough. Because I guarantee if I talk about what we can give and how much we can be blessed with and how much God can fulfill us, that actually may encourage some hearts. But when I tell you that what if your circumstance never changed but the king of glory until the king of glory comes? Will you be content in Jesus Christ? Do you realize That the urgency we need to have is for the kingdom of God in its fullness, which should be tethered to the way that we treat other individuals and carry ourselves in all aspects of our lives. I know you still don't believe me. James chapter 5, 1 through 3, he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your treasures in the last days. What did I, what, the, your understanding and desire for the kingdom of God is connected to your faith and the way that you treat other people. Because these rich people who are described here have been treating people wrong and actually have made money off of the poor people. And what James is saying by the power of God that now you'll you'll weep and you'll howl in misery. So some of y'all who feel pain right now, it's nothing compared to being apart from God. Some of you guys who feel sorrow and hurt not because things have happened to you. It's because, I'm talking about because of your current circumstance. It has no comparison in terms of being apart from God. Therefore, we ought to dignify every single individual, not according to their wealth, not according to their power, not according to their privilege, but according to how God has made them and created them. And it reflects what's going on in here. You know, the next thing that reflects what's going on in here is the way that we show mercy. Because when he brings up the royal law in, in verse 8, 
He says, you should love your neighbor. We know that comes from Leviticus chapter 8 and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself, connected to the golden rule in which Jesus talks about. The way that you treat yourself is an indication as to how you will treat others. The way that you treat yourself is an indication as to how you will treat others. If you're judgmental of yourself, if you're self-denigrating, if you take on all guilt, if you're merciless, if you're shameful, etc., you will have the same view and perspective in treating other individuals that same way. Oh, yeah, we do it. Older people do it to younger people. Every time. I love the generational discussions a lot of times. What these millennials, they just, they got it better than we ever had and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then younger people do it to older people. They just don't understand. They're, 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 they're stuck in their ways, et cetera, et cetera. All of the distinctions begin to create other, 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 thing, other things that are going on within us because we were raised a particular way, because we experienced particular things. What happens? Our lens is that. Same thing when it comes to when we judge ourselves and we treat ourselves with shame and guilt and we begin to, we begin to work out of our trauma, etc. We begin to do the same thing with other individuals. Always be introspective is what James is saying. In the reality in terms of how you love other, other individuals. Love yourself better so you can love somebody else. So loving your neighbor is connected also to this idea that you don't want to discriminate against other individuals because you're afraid of poverty. People are afraid of poverty. We are afraid of people that are poor. We're afraid of going to the hood. We're afraid of going to other other areas that we feel as if that are scary. We're afraid of certain situations. But the, the reality is you're afraid of what you don't know. We're afraid of different ethnic groups. We're afraid of different relationships regarding age differences. We're afraid of different genders. We're afraid of different sexualities. When we have the conversation or the talk around same-sex attracted individuals and Christians that identify as being gay but celibate, we're afraid to have those conversations a lot of times because we don't understand or we don't know. But God asked us, and James asked us through the Lord to do what? If anybody lacks wisdom... Come, come, come ask me. I'll give it to you generously. I got enough of it. My bank account long. Long as train smoke. And the reason being that we ought to understand that is because the reality is when we get into situations that we don't understand, we begin to commit sins. And that's what happens in, when we look at what, what James says. He says, if you have transgressed the law, but for, in verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's what the Bible says. So in, 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 regard to, in regards to showing discrimination, in regards to being prejudiced, in regards to everything that begins to show distinctions, classism, racism, sexism, etc. We are committing sins. Somebody can talk about CRT and ABC all day long, but if we have power dynamics and social systemic institutions that benefit only the powerful, the privileged, and the rich, we are committing sins. Beloved, that's what we, if we do that same thing with one another. 
Some of y'all in here right now got issues with other people. Judging other people. Have treated other people wrong. But yet, we don't want to have those conversations. Why? Because I believe when James is saying, we don't understand mercy. We don't understand compassion. But the cross, every single time, should remind us if you're in a marital situation and you're dealing with issues and, you're and it's hard right now and it's difficult, you should be reminded that forgiveness is at the cross. And therefore, if you have situations like that, you need to offer forgiveness. If you have a situation with a business partner, a friend, anything, family, whatever, mercy should be given outright because God has shown it to you and he shows it to you every single day. James seems to have learned from Jesus how to be around people who he may feel, who other Pharisees or Sadducees, religious leaders feel uncomfortable being around. Right? We remember having the image of Jesus reclining at the table with tax collectors who are extortioners, with those that are sinners. How many times have we walked into a prison and we felt uncomfortable? Walked into a juvenile hall and felt uncomfortable. Walked in certain areas or spaces and felt uncomfortable. The Bible says is that right here, right after you commit the sin in verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. Has become accountable for it all. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. Having a deep understanding of the fact that you've done so means then that the people you're around helps you to deal with those things that are going on internally. That makes you fearful for being around certain people or judgmental being around certain people. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? So how does it feel to be discriminated against or to discriminate against others? How does it feel not to have empathy but to, ha to be to, but to exclude. The reality is it's difficult. And it's difficult because what it leaves us with. This idea, if we were to understand the gospel in all of its beauty, it's to say that James is getting to, is the fact that you show compassion. is meaning that you're not quick to judge. Same thing that James says that we don't, I mean, uh, John, chapter, John chapter 7, 24, where he says that you, you don't want to run quick to sit and judge other people because you will be judged. So what does it mean when Jesus came to trade places? There was a movie with Eddie Murphy when he talked about trading places. Some of y'all remember that movie. It was hilarious. But you look at how the idea in which one would discriminate according to what one has, how it's so powerful. But I want to challenge you, Christian, because we all love to think about trading places. I know because of the reality shows we watch and the things that come on TV and how we desire to see those things, etc. Remember John Q, where he wanted to trade places with his son. Jesus reminds us through this passage that our faith in him is the idea in which he's already traded places with us. Denzel Washington and John Q didn't have enough insurance coverage to transplant, to have the heart transplant with his son. He figured he'd sacrifice himself. 
But see, the movie should teach us the gospel. That we did not have enough to do the hard work that's transformative in our hearts. And we still don't have enough. And if any of us are judgmental, and if any of us are holding discriminatory ways and acts towards others, and you are shaking your fist at God as he's operating and changing your heart right now, I want you to ask yourself the question, have you accepted Jesus Christ? Are you really walking with the one who came down from heaven, not in all of his richness, not with his gold rings and bling, but he came to give himself over because he didn't think that it was such a thing to grasp, but he sought his humiliation in order to exalt a people, a people who were far more impoverished, a people who had absolutely nothing to give. You know who those people are? I just want you to point to yourself and say, it is me. And when you understand that it is you, you know that what Jesus did when we come to communion, he did it 2,000 years ago, and he traded places with you on the cross and he said that you don't have to endure such a beating and such a harassment you were helpless and harassed much like the individuals he were he fed before with the 5,000 they were helpless and harassed Jesus was so tired but he knew that he still could have compassion even though that he was tired even though that people treated him wrong even though that people did not like him his own people his people that he came to save how how does it feel to be discriminated against? When you come to love someone else, when you come to care for someone else and you feel discriminated against, how does it feel when we have someone walking into our congregation and we don't show them love and we only isolate ourselves in certain groups? How does it feel? I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about it every time we do the benediction and you see someone else in our congregation. Don't go to them because you want to discriminate. Go to them because you want to express the love of God and dignify what God is doing. Why? Because it shows an inward work that is going in an outward expression. The kingdom of God is coming, beloved. It is not coming because you got all of your stuff together. It's not coming for your wealth. God is not coming to save you because of how much you've done. Christian leaders, those who do ministry, I want you to understand, God is not coming because of how much you have had an impact. And what you believe you're doing around the city. God is coming for people who've been humbled, who've been persecuted, who've been bruised. He is coming for individuals who love him and love his church. Without showing any discriminatory acts. Dignifying others. And always showing compassion. Giving grace where it's needed. Because you've, you've experienced it. Father, we thank you. Oh, because it is not what we are, how we are, who we are, and what we have that you come to save us. Transform our hearts in this moment, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Help all of us, Lord, to be more and more like you, dying to ourselves, to the natural proclivities of our hearts that cause us, Lord, to walk in ways that are not of you. But, Lord, I pray. That we look at this table and come because this was a table you created and you made in order for us to come with you because you've given us the law of liberty so that we may be free in you. Free indeed. And you've traded places with us so that we may be heirs of the kingdom of God adopted by our Father in him alone. For we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. All God's people said together. Amen. 
Beloved, will you stand to your feet as we receive the benediction? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, be with you all as you have an urgent desire for God's kingdom now and forevermore. All God's people sit together. Go in peace.